Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wizards podcast i'm matt moderno i'm joined here in a minute by osmond beg we're just going to do an initial reaction to the wizards sort of end of season availability that they did uh with the media today got the comments from tommy shepherd wes unsell bradley beal people like that and we're just going to go through the major ones give our reactions to them uh oz was kind of following this as i was throughout the day unfortunately i'm traveling for work so i couldn't be there to hear these in person but it's really interesting to hear the different uh, sound bites from from these uh, different people within the organization and what they thought about the year or what they want us to think they thought about the year. In a lot of these cases, I think some of it is spin and damage control. And, you know, it just it, it's frustrating at the very least. So we'll get into all that. We're going to do a real like here's the season, you know, postmortem kind of thing with Jihadi on Friday. So stay tuned for kind of a deeper dive on what went well, what went wrong, probably more of the what went wrong, because I think we would all agree that this season was not what we would hope it would be. So we'll just kind of diagnose all those things and then talk about where that leaves us for the offseason. So we'll get into all that kind of stuff. Again, today's pod is just focused on what what the team thought or what the team says they thought about the year. And, and we'll just kind of go through their respective comments and, and break those down for you. So hopefully that's something if you either follow the comments and, and have your own thoughts on them, it'll help you kind of um, you know, from the cathartic standpoint as, as somebody that might be able to relate to some of those things, or if you didn't hear them, we'll kind of give you uh, the list of the major takeaways from it and save you from having to go back through and, and find all those individual sound bites or listen to the whole interview yourself. As always, we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and Surfside Hard Iced Teas, Hard Lemonades, all those good things. Uh, it's basically summer at this point, at least we're going to get some 75, 80 degree weather this weekend. So perfect time to run out and get those if you're in the DMV. And as always, we're brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for NBA basketball, playoff betting, uh, all that good stuff. Good analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games to the NBA playoffs, conference championships, all that kind of stuff, right through uh, to the NBA finals and, and all the things that you care about if you're basketball fans and you're listening to this. So I assume you are. BetOnline is your NBA betting headquarters this season. Head to the website today to sign up and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Okay, with that, let's get to my convo with Oz. All right, my pleasure as always to bring on Osmond Begg. Oz, this was, I don't know, probably a typical day in Wizards media land. I think everything we expected they would say uh, to just really trigger us as a fan base, they went out and said. So I'm happy you're on here and we can kind of talk about this thing in real time. You know, I thought it would be a nice, quiet end of season. You know, there wasn't much <laughs> to say, but they just, they find a way to kind of just make you mad again. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the shit we've been like pissed off about all year that we had finally kind of let die. And they're like, yeah. nope, let's, let's just open that wound back up here. You know, I was willing, I, you know, I was willing to kind of let it go. Like yeah. it is what it is. Let's just look forward to the lottery. Sure. But yeah, then, uh, 
then, uh, you know, exit interviews happen. I, I fully believe that this job is actually much harder than any of us give it credit for. And I fully believe that you can do everything right as a GM and shit can just go wrong. Like you can put a very good team together on paper and it just doesn't work. It doesn't click. The pieces don't actually fit as well as you think. And a team underachieves. Like I'm willing to accept that that happens some years. It should not happen four consecutive years. And that's basically what we're looking at here, where they've been about the same level of bad each of those years. In 2019, 2020, the bubble year, they went 25 and 47. If you probably extrapolate that out over a full season, it's probably like a 30-some win team. Then the year after, they went 34 and 38, slightly shortened season, you know, mid-30s anyway. And then last year, 35 and 47, and this year, 35 and 47, like what they're doing isn't working. So like they don't get a pass for this. They shouldn't yeah. get a pass for this. Even the bubble year, like you said, they were 24 and 40 before they went to the bubble. Mm. That one in seven at the end, the 25, 47 kind of exaggerates how bad they actually were. Like they were, they were, they were kind of, remember they were a little bit of a they surprise. Were mid. Yeah. yeah. They were just like, it was a more pleasant mid because no one, no one expected more right. than that. And then the one in seven, but they were, you know, they've been in this 30 win range. And it's just amazing, like 35, 47 back-to-back years. <laughs> well, yeah, that first year, it was like, okay, Tommy gets the pass because, like, he's digging out from Ernie and he's got nothing to work with. And, like, you know, the, the deck is stacked, stacked against him here. Once he gets his team and, you know, he can kind of get free of the shackling of Ernie's mismanagement, things will get so much better. And they've literally just been status quo and and we all see that, but the GM gets on TV after the game on the Propaganda Network, or sorry, on NBC, and says they get an incomplete grade for the year because he couldn't fully evaluate the team due to injury. But then he also said he doesn't know if in today's NBA it's even possible to get a full season with everybody. So he like even contradicted himself in real time because it was such a stupid answer. So if he knows that, why say it? Uh, I don't, like that's the one thing I don't I don't know why you would say it. There it was it's an insult to fans who paid money to go to the stadium to say mm-hmm. it's an incomplete grade. It shows a lack of and I think the bigger issues with the organization which you see you saw from you've seen from Shepard now I think going on a couple of years now because if you were to listen to him COVID was only a reality for the Wizards. Uh, injuries are only a reality for the Wizards. I mean, Beal did somehow get COVID like 11 times. Yeah, in like that's a true. So, like, stretch, yeah. so. <laughs> so it's it's like the things that he is applying to him, he thinks don't apply to the rest of the league, but it does. And actually, if you look at the injury stats, I think uh, SpotTrack has this. They're like in the, not even in the top 20 in the NBA in terms of man games lost. They're, I think, 16th when I looked it up two days ago in terms of cash earned while man games lost, meaning like, is it your more high priced players? So they're Mm -hmm. middle, firmly middle of the pack in terms of injury impact, if not even lower than that. And so the other thing is this, like I was listening on the radio today and while all three of their their big three in quotes are, are healthy, they're 16 and 19. So if you take that over an 82 game season, if you just, you know, do the math, it's a 37 win team. Mm-hmm. They're a 35 win team. Right. So if they are 100, if they were to be yeah. available for every game, they are just two better games better than what they ended up actually being. So you don't get that pass. And you can't just keep asking for 
a free pass or an incomplete or that when there are people who are paying money to go to the stadium who are like uh, who are invested in the team. It's well, I mean, you can because they do obviously get away with it, but it's a slap in the face of the fans and it's a slap in the face to the customers who go out there. Yeah, like you said, the the team in in those games with the the air quotes big three. I'm just going to keep calling them that, and I will mm-hmm. laugh every time I say it. But they're they're slightly better than average as a group in the NBA. They're like three points per hundred possessions better than opponents, and that's okay. It's just yeah. not what you need from your guys. If and you're just dick- for context, uh, I actually looked up the Otto Beal Wall. Mm-hmm. 2016-2017 three, which still wasn't a big three. Was that like it was seven? Three. Seven? It was like seven and a half yeah. points per hundred procession better. So that's twice as good as this big three. So and, and that's the thing. This, if you've yeah. built your whole team around that, and you've and you have a poor bench because you've invested so heavily in three guys, and you're about to double, triple down on that, they have to be better against right. those people. Right. You have to have a much bigger margin because you don't have the money to build around them mm-hmm. like you need to on that. And like it doesn't matter that people always talk about the four through ten. Even if the four through ten excels, you just can't keep paying everybody. So they need to be better to have that so that you have that margin that you could kind of like, you know, you pay a you pay a supermax, you pay a big three because they are kind of offsetting deficiencies elsewhere. Yeah. These guys aren't doing that. They have they have to make these lesser guys better. When you make that much money, somebody of the three of you has to make the other guys on the team better. Which than they that. don't. They don't. And look, I've been critical of Wall in the past, but the one thing I could say he did do was he mm-hmm. made some lesser guys better. Yeah. I yeah. can't look at anyone on this team right now, any of those big, any of the big three on this team, and say they definitively, undoubtedly make another player on the team better. Right. And like just to add a little context to that, so I was just looking this up. Of the three, um, in terms of net def- net uh, net rating on versus off, the difference, the total difference between their on and off, uh, Kyle Kuzma three point six, Kristaps uh, Porzingis five point six, which is the largest of the three. The, the difference between when he's on, when he's off the court, and Bradley Beal has the least in terms of his the net rating on net rating off differential is three point three. When he's on and off the court, this is your two hundred and fifty million dollar player. So we're supposed to right. bank on the fact that they're not healthy as the reason that they're not good. No, I think I think it ultimately they're not that good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was to me best case scenario for what these three guys would have played games wise. I mean, mm-hmm. if you'd have told me Beal played sixty five games and Porzingis only played fifty, I would have believed you. They could have played probably five or six more games down the stretch between the two of them. So could Kuzma. They might have been banged up, but they could have made it work. Each of them probably could have got to around 60-ish games. And that's really, I, I think, all you could have realistically envisioned from those three guys. And and to me, it says if like you're so dependent on DeLon Wright and him missing 29 games, like you didn't build a very good team then. Right. And that's not the knock on like a knock on DeLon Wright. I think he's uh, like unreal defensively. And and the numbers back that up that like he is a he's a ball hawk, like right. He's he's like right. 95th percentile and or actually 99th percentile in steel percentage of the NBA. Like <laughs> you just can't throw the ball anywhere around him. Yeah, he just somehow, always gets his hands on it. He's got a magnet, but this is a team with a suspect bench. And you trade away people like Rui. I whatever you think of Rui, you can't tell me that didn't hurt them. 
And Shepard said that the team's problems could be solved this offseason by a combination of fewer injuries, which he has no control over, which is amazing that he would say that, opportunistic moves similar to the signing of DeLon Wright last summer through the mid-level exception and, quote, a different approach defensively. So another guy like DeLon Wright somehow being added to the roster uh, is going to majorly swing you somehow. And then we'll get to the defensive approach thing because that's basically throwing your coach under the bus. But but realistically, he gives you three things. And one, he can't control. The other one is negligible, probably. Another mid-level guy. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one is you have a shitty coach who you've already said that you're committed to beyond the season. Because to me, he's the scapegoat for Tommy. Like, why would I fire Wes and bring in somebody good, uh, essentially, you know, if I don't have anyone to pin the losses on anymore? That coach, whoever the next coach would come in, if there was another coach to come in under Tommy, would be in a higher position in the organization than Tommy. They would get the yeah. say over him. Right. But also, go, kind of going back to your point about DeLon Wright. So, and this is also where, see, when Ernie was in charge, I just thought he was... Incompetence is not the right word. I thought he his issue was he always overestimated the, his talent and he underestimated the value of the draft. I think th- those were his two big issues where he always thought the roster was too good. So like even going back to the Steph Curry draft, yes, I think there may have been other stuff going on which said trade the pick, but they also did I, mean, I, I like, have like pretty definitive intel on that being the mandate. So yeah. like that's that's one of the few things I'll ever report on this podcast that mm-hmm. But but still, it doesn't mean trade them for people that don't make sense. Right, I mean, and their approach has always kind of been like, well, that player can't help us. And the roster has never been good for them to ever think, well, that player can't, we don't, we can't get a player that could help us. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I, you know, so I think with Ernie, that was more the issue. And then he didn't value drafts and he traded away draft picks, which were the ke- cheaper ways to keep the roster flowing. And he just ignored that part of it. So, but when I'm listening to Tommy Shepard, it's more... I feel like I'm being lied to. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why we call, you know, I mean, you know, I call him and you call him the same like used car Tommy because he is absolutely lying. He's lying about the injuries. He's just not honest in his approach. And it makes me as a consumer, like it, it just, it just less, I believe in the product product less and less. And it's not like I believe in it a ton. I'm a fan, right. but it's like, it's somehow is damaging. Even, yeah. You know? Yeah. Let, let me just bounce this off of you as a soundbite. Hey, we were in the middle of the pack in terms of games lost due to injury, but for whatever reason, that just hit us harder and we weren't able to fully integrate our pieces. Those three guys all play a certain style and we just didn't have sort of the right connective tissue to survive them all being out at different points in time. And for whatever reason, it just hit us harder than it seemed to hit some of these other teams. Not saying that we were more impacted by it, we need to do some soul searching here about why we weren't able to overcome the people we lost due to injuries as well as some of these other teams were. Like, how would you take that as a response from the GM if that's what he says? Look, I would always be a little skeptical to everything you said, but that comes off a lot better than blaming injuries. And that's a, that's just a very vanilla, right. straight to the point, but more honest thing. And I just can't get like, I just feel that like, I don't think it's intentional. And I'm sure he believes it, but it just comes off as being dishonest. Oh, I and think it's intentional. You think, <laughs> yeah. And you just end on top of that, like you could fact check these things. Right. And it's just like, even so, even with um, the whole injury thing, kind of more context, we were the ninth seed mm. uh, after the all like when the all star break came. Uh, we had the easiest record amongst 
Hawks, Knicks, Raptors. I think that the whole team, the whole group of teams that we were bunched up with, 15 of our 24 games were at home. The schedule was setting up very nicely for, for the Wizards if they could maintain that momentum that they had going into the All-Star break. And Beal, for example, played their first 14 games. I think Kuzma and Porzingis played 11 of those 14 games. DeLon Wright, since he is part of the Big Four discussion, yeah. he also played all 14 of those games. They went 4-10 and 10 in those games. They were healthy for the most part in those mm-hmm. games, and they went 4-10 and 10 in the biggest games of the season when it mattered on their home court. That's why they're out of the playoffs, not because mm-hmm. of injuries. So I, I would like it if he would just own that, say that, address how he plans to fix it versus saying, oh, I'm going to give ourselves an incomplete on the season. No, you were not an incomplete at the All-Star break. You guys believed that you guys were, and it was reported at the time that they believed that they were going to, they were trending in the right direction. Everything was setting up well and it didn't work out. So just own it. I'm auditioning for his speech writer because I got another one for you here. It, it can be coach speak. I think we all know he can't be too transparent because that's just sort of not how this works. But you yeah. also don't have to treat us like we're stupid. And right. if you just come out and say, like, look, I know everyone's looking at the record. It's 34 and 47. But to be honest, we lost a couple of these games close down the stretch. We had one really bad run where we were four and 10. If we were 10 and four there, you know, maybe it changes the dynamic of the season. We don't tank down the stretch. And this is a mid 40s win team as opposed to a 35 win team. The margins in the NBA are very small. And I think we see how we can fill those gaps for next year. Now that we had this core together for this whole season, we know how to like plug, plug those holes around them. And, and like, we've got a plan for that. Like, I know we haven't done anything to earn your trust. We've been 35 wins the last couple of years, but like, mm-hmm. Give us the benefit of doubt on this one and see where we're at next year. Cause I think you're going to like the product better as a fan. I could be like, all right, it's kind of bullshit, but like there's like enough there that I could like give yeah. you a pass on this of just like not treating me like I'm an idiot. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and like saying that instead of saying I need to see more before I can make a determination about the big three, you don't have the opportunity to see more because their contracts You've already paid Beal, and now you're going to have to pay Kuzma and Porzingis this summer. So you don't have the luxury of seeing more before making that. Yeah, all effing season. I mean, yeah, you had all season. You know what you have, and if you're honest in your assessment of what you have, look. If you wanted to make the argument to keep it together, that is fine. There's probably mm-hmm. a way to keep it together and climb out of the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get lucky in the lottery, make a couple of shrewd moves, like might be a trade or via free agency. There may be a path out of it. But say that. Don't like tell mm-hmm. us I don't haven't seen enough. When, especially when you've completed year four as a general manager, on top of the sixteen prior years where you worked under Ernie Grunfeld. So your handprints are all over this organization. I really do believe that an upgrade at point guard is a big needle mover for this team because if you could put somebody in there that makes everyone else also incrementally better, besides just themselves being an upgrade, like. There's this Al Galdi thing going around where he talked about the and, and you went back and forth with with him, which I, I appreciate about how like Monte Morris was so good this year because he had the second best assist to turnover ratio. That's great from your backup, somebody that is going to be safe and secure, but you need him to like force the issue and make plays. Like sometimes guys probe the defense and lose the ball, but they're like pushing and they're attacking, and that's going to happen. So I'd actually like to see him have less of a sort of safety margin there 
yeah. around the way he played. But he's also, at the end of the day, he's just a six-foot point guard. Like, there's only so much you can do. They were shit at three-point defense for a large portion of the season. And it's just because he's not a good defender next to Beal, who's not a good defender. If you yeah. replace him with a six-seven guy, you know, who could also play make and create one of these guys in the draft, like, now they're still a rookie. I understand that. But, like, just just the theoretical archetype of a bigger facilitator, you know, wing defender maybe. Like that to me is is a good way to get yourself five, six extra wins next season. Yeah. And I do agree with that. If they had a significant upgrade apart from point guard, they could climb out of this and get into that. Like they could be where Atlanta is now. They could be, I mean, look, if if you get the right point guard, you might be able to even do what New York is doing for mm-hmm. a, like a one-off season here or there. Yeah. That's, I'd be, I'd be ignorant or naive to say that that's not possible, but like you have to, oh, like you have to just say like, that's come out and just say, that's the need. That's what mm-hmm. we're missing. That's where we have to get better. The altitude to alcohol, to, to Goldie's point, that's kind of the whole, he's a stats based guy. And you kind of hear this, all the stats based, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's just turnover is good. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do this. Well, yeah, he doesn't because he's not trying to do anything. Yeah. He is there to not get in the way. And because he is, that's what his role is. That's why Kyle Kuzma is shooting up these grenades with the, at the end of the shot clock. And that's mm-hmm. why Beal is asked to handle the ball late in games where he turns it over. Yep. And Porzingis can't get set up for an easy shot in the fourth quarter. He's like has a six, seven guy in his legs versus mm-hmm. being able to just roll to the basket or pop up for pop open for a three because there's no threat from the point guard position. Uh, and that's what they don't understand. Like he's truly, and this also kind of goes back to the Tommy Shepard point. He said, gave himself an incomplete. How are you going to give yourself an incomplete when your point guard, I mean, it's hard to say, are there five starting point guards worse than Monte Morris in the NBA? It's a bottom five starting point guard situation, like scenario here. And then on top of that, you, I didn't even mention the three, the, the small forward position, which has kind of been like, all right, you could get a start. You could get a start. Like they don't even have uh, a it's by committee. Yeah. presence there. It's by committee. So you're weak at point guard, you're weak at small forward. That's not incomplete. That's roster building. Yeah, I agree. And and like Corey Kispert looked really good down the stretch, but you cannot win as a team in the NBA with Morris Beal Kispert as your yeah. perimeter defensive unit. Like they it, get absolutely play major destroyed. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed. You would have no perimeter defense, no perimeter wall at all. Yep. It just it just will not work, essentially. Like and and I think the plan for them is really to not go into next season having to start Kuzma, Porzingis, and Gafford all together. Like, I think they're going to try really hard to get away from that. That's just a hunch. Mm-hmm. And and be able to keep Gafford off the bench if he can. Now, if you've got Gafford with Monte, who's a little more empowered to probe and things like that, maybe he looks better against bench units. And I just think it would, like, change sort of the dynamic of the team and, and give them a little bit, um, you know, better mismatches. But But Tommy said, we've shown every summer we're not afraid to make deals that make us better. But have any of their deals actually made them better? See, and, and this is kind of where he runs, you know, and he's got a lot of praise for some of these trades that he's made. Mm-hmm. So the Por- Porzingis trade, the Kuzma trade, you know, the Wall, Westbrook, kind of the whole path. And individually, these are good moves. Mm-hmm. But the final product still doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And if you hold on to the... So kind of the, the challenge that he had when he first came here, or when he first... Now, he was already always here. I mean, when he first became the general manager and when Ernie... Ernie was gone was he had the John Wall contract, mm-hmm. which was considered untradeable. Then he traded that for Russell Westbrook. Then he got fortunate with the Lakers and he was able to take that contract and break it into pieces. From there, 
I think any inc- any kind of being hindered by that original supermax was gone. Yeah, because you got an extra pick, you have all these tradable deals, and I remember that's what they even cited at the time. They got a lot of part, a lot of contracts that can be moved, mm-hmm. and that was a benefit to them. But what they've ended up doing is, in some cases, holding on to a lot of these contracts too long. Yeah. Now, where they're in a situation where if they keep Kuzma, now it's going to be at a much higher salary. Mm-hmm. But what what have you what can you do around them? So they haven't done taken this time before he's due his next deal to build around him enough to make it worthwhile to pay him that next big deal. Because now, now the challenge is going to be once you pay Kuzma, once you pay Biel, once you pay Porzingis, how are you going to get your point guard? How are you going to get your small forward? Mm-hmm. How are you going to build your bench? So we're kind of like in this, like you know, kind of this hamster wheel where we just keep going and going, but we end up 35 and 47 every year. And I did not enjoy the Russell Westbrook experiment all that much. I think anyone who listens to this show knows that, but there were certain guys on the roster that he made better. And, mm-hmm. and they were slightly greater than the sum of their parts. He tanked the first third of the season, but he's really good the last third. So sort of a mixed bag there. But, you know, it just that was one aspect he brought to the team. And they haven't really been able to replicate that portion of it since. Uh, Wes Hall asked Tommy, what is winning predicated on? And Tommy said, it starts with talent. Talent gets you to the NBA. Character keeps you there. We've got a lot of great guys. There's a lot of talent. We've got to get everyone firing at the same time, being consistently healthy, being consistently approached, which I don't know what that means. You know, this team went through an 0-10 stretch during the season, but they fought hard every night. They were right there. We had an 8-4 and stretch right before All-Star, and it looked like, hey, we're really on to something, and everything in between. So you've got to take the good that you can from it and learn from the bad stuff, certainly. But I don't think it's a talent question, talent equation. I think we'll have to continue to do better, maximize what we do have, and add strategic pieces and I think we'll be in good shape. That's his attempt at what I tried to say earlier there, right. but it's just rambling, incoherent. Well, we were bad, but we were good. To me, that's not a fluke. That's you built a really inconsistent roster that's so shaky, it can't survive any sort of adversity whatsoever. Like that's the team that you built. That's not fluky yeah. shit. Let me actually read you something that I found from Tommy after he got the job as the general manager and I said, I shouldn't have told you when, but let me just read the statement. Let read this. Is it, we're going to add athletic wings. Cause I'm still waiting for that shit. <laughs> I know we didn't have any plans to have a reunion of last year's team. There was a lot of good players on it, but bringing everybody back probably would have produced how many wins compared to the long-term exposure of those contracts to try to break this thing down and hit the reset financially to start looking at younger players and get, uh, getting other opportunities to look at younger players, I think that was more, more appealing for the future. This was uh, Shepard after getting the job as general manager in 2019. Couldn't everything I just said have apl- apply to the current state of the Wizards? They've literally just like been status quo for four years. Like yeah. nothing, nothing is different now than when he started. His quote from 2019... It's purgatory. ...is the exact, like, is, he's making the argument against what they're planning to do this summer. Yeah but we're just going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you know what? Like, Hey, this is the path we've chosen. We're going to do this shit and we're going to make the best of it. Like, cool. Giddy up. Like I'll get on board with that. I think we all know where some of this directive is coming from. And I'm tired of like litigating the, we should blow it up because they're never going to do that. They're not going to do it. So if you're going to build around Beal, I actually do like KP. I actually do like Kuzma. I went back and forth with some folks on Twitter today and I had like really good civil discourse about how good he actually is. Like the shooting efficiency is really bad. I do think a large portion of that is a reflection of the roster and the people around him. 
But there's other value that he provides that I think if you had sort of more ideal team construction, you could kind of emphasize those things better. The defensive rebounding is really important for this team next to somebody like Porzingis. Uh, the, The secondary playmaking or even tertiary playmaking, if you had a real point guard, like he plugs holes that they don't plug with anybody else on this roster. And I do think you get markedly worse if you replace him with some sub. And I know some of our stats based friends. Uh, don't agree with that, but uh, <laughs> I think know. there's value in him. I think sometimes the green light gets too green. Oh, I agree. That, that's and coaching to me. If you have a strong that's coaching. coach. And I think also what we've seen is, and, and I think what the argument has been with him, and I'm not to divert too much in, into this, into this discussion, but the I argument in this season was like, who, who else could score? Mm-hmm. And I think what we found out there's, there's only so much you could take out of April and March and April basketball. It's kind of, especially when you wave the white flag, Everybody's scoring. Kenny Lofton showed up and scored 40 points his first game. You know, like, and look, he might be a good player, but that's not the norm. That's mm-hmm. that's not what he would do on opening day in 2024. You know? Richard with 31, 12, and 15. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But I do think we've seen Corey Kispert show that there is more to him mm-hmm. than standing in the corner scoring nine points a game. Mm-hmm. I think Avdia, when he's on, can score more. That's Sometimes, Match you know, the Lon Wright even showed that he could score more when he's allowed to score more. Sure. Um, so there are other players. There's no need for some of those late shot clock grenades. But that's also on some of the younger players. Like I've seen it all season where Corey Kisper would get the ball. We had, have the ball five seconds left on the shot clock. He would just hand it to Kuzma or hand it to Porzingis and run out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's like you're the most efficient shooter on the team. Take the damn shot, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> And like, we can't like, it should not require everyone not playing for you to do that. So I think there's some blame here, some blame there. There's definitely value. He adds his motor is ridiculous. Kuzma's and he just kind of just keeps playing. He just needs to, he needs to iron out the turnovers and iron out some of that shot, shot selection. What you want from him is like your fourth offensive option. He can be more efficient. There could be some more catch and shoot. He can create a little, try to get downhill. Yeah. But you don't want him to have to carry the offense. And, and maybe he can for stretches when other guys are staggered and, and things like that. But he, he shouldn't be this kind of offensive usage. But again, I do think that's a reflection of the roster. Like sometimes just being able to get a shot off against NBA defenses yeah. is a skill that not everyone on this roster has shown right. consistently. And, uh, you know, that maybe that's not that important on a good but this, team. This, but is also is on what this, you team. this is also what you said. They need a point guard. So if you had a point guard, all of a sudden, Beal has it less. Kuzma has it less. And then everyone is slotted to their... And they get it more they in the right spots when they do have it. Exactly. So that's the biggest need. And and you are right. Look, look, I'm I'm in favor of restarting, kind of redoing everything. and But it's just not going to happen. So if it's not going to happen, go get a point guard. Yeah. How do you do this the right way if you're going to do that? And those comments about we have enough talent is just insane. Like, I, yeah. I don't know how you could watch this team all year and think, you know what? We definitely are on par with teams that are actually going to be a top six seed in a playoff. So they're just not like they yeah. really just are not. And the, the point guard situation is so, so dire that Kendrick Nunn showed up, had <laughs> he was the one good game against the Rockets, maybe a couple of good games. And all of a sudden, Wizards Twitter was going on about how maybe he should even be the starting point guard. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I've ever dis, like, disliked. I don't know if that, that's not disliked. I've, I never enjoyed less a person, a player on the Wizards. 
like watching him play. <laughs> and also he, get he's like in a rare group. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. It was just so difficult to watch. And I'm sorry for diverting again, but it's no, like, it's but it's, it's like, I've also like the point guards usually talk a lot. They mm-hmm. kind of like just always talking because they have to organize things on the floor. This guy had no motion, straight faced. He knew he was there just to showcase, get shots, get shots up before free agency. I was like, why is this guy on the roster? And why is he getting the playing time? And I was like, <laughs> and every time I'd see him, I would just get like mad that people at some point thought he should be the starting point guard and was like anything. But that just goes to show how dire our point yeah. guard situation is. Yeah. People were desperate to latch on to anything. Right. Like maybe we want to trade. Maybe we did something yeah. right. Maybe there's hope. Like that's all anyone wants here. And I think yeah. we have a smarter fan base than, I don't know, we may even give ourselves credit for a lot of times, but we're just so desperate from years of like psychological abuse that we jump at anything. And I was talking to our, our mutual buddy, Kevin Broom, about this today over text. And hope he doesn't mind me sharing our text convo because it was, you know, just not related to this. But I thought it was really good because it's he and I both said, like, before the year, we expected to be f- sub 500 and got like yeah. some amount of flack for being, you know, too negative or whatever. But they're sub 500. I mean, so at the end of the day, like, it's, it's just trying to be realistic. I want them to be a 50 win team yeah. every year. I want to do that. But it's the same anecdote, and I've said it on the podcast a bunch of times, but it was like when I worked for 980 before every season, they'd come in and they'd say, last year we said the skins would be 11 and 5. You know, they ended up going uh, 4 and 12. What do you think they'll be next year? 11 and 5 every yeah. year. Because like you want, <laughs> and then by the way, that next year they went 6 and 10. So yeah. subtle improvement. But, you know, people want to have hope. They want to believe in this team. It's why we care about the draft so much. And just like give us a few things to like cling to of like, yeah. ooh, okay, this is exciting. Like this is something to build on. And maybe the Corey glimpse at the end of the year will fuel us for the offseason. I don't know. But it, well, it's, look, it's all amusing. Like you, we get called so wizards, so wizards yeah. Twitter because we actually nailed what they ended up being. Yeah. We said they would be a playing team at best. Yeah. They didn't even make that. Right. Um, there's no ownage or there's no ownership of if if the other side was wrong, it was more. And we, like you said, we take no pleasure in this. I'd much rather be getting ready oh, to yeah. watch them play a playoff series this weekend. <laughs> and, and I know you feel the same way here. I would happily sit here and be like, man, I blew that shit. They're amazing. Yeah. They're they're what the Kings are. Yeah, yeah. let's get like, ready to play the Cavs round one. I nothing would, would make me happy. I'm thrilled to be in New York's position. Absolutely. Like that, that would be amazing. Um, but circling back to the Tommy thing, we killed him for the incomplete comments a little bit. Somebody coached him up on the media team here because today uh, he opened the end of season press conference by saying that their 35 and 47 record was both disappointing and disgusting were two of the cherry picked words used to associate that. And, you know, he said it organically, it kind of failed, not necessarily due to lack of talent as much as just timing. I believe that's what I would attribute it to. We had some key injuries to key guys. So he started good by acknowledging that it didn't go well for them, but then circled back to the same sort of tired narratives there i just i just don't understand sort of what the thoughts are and then he got into like why it didn't really work and then this is where he went to sort of the third thing here with that um you know different defensive approach might uh change some things up and he said you get to the end of the season and if there's still questions if there's still confusion or anything then maybe sometimes you either have to simplify or really go back and say Quote, how much accountability was there throughout the year to get us to this point? Are we still doing some of the same things? 
Ooh, okay. He said, that's a question for everybody. We have to dig in and say, what can we do better? One of the easiest things is to say, well, we told them and they're not listening. Well, that's not the way it works in the NBA. They have to be able to take whatever our scheme is going to be and take it to the court. And then there has to be carry through. To me, that is 100% an indictment on your coach from your GM that he chose to already re-up for next year by all accounts. So good reporting by Josh Robbins on that, by the way. So like, if if you've already said that it you you have put a roster together that can win, but your coach isn't getting them to either buy in enough or just giving them a bad game plan, well, then to me, you change the coach. Now we know why they're not going to do that, but I would make him supplement his staff with the right people and I would have his replacement on the bench next to him, ready for if this team starts four and ten again next year. Like we're pulling the court early because yep. you're talking about accountability. Hold your coach accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Yeah. Uh no, you're absolutely right. I'm I was surprised that he went in on that because I think part of the issue, well, it's funny, when you listen to the players, the issue was more so they thought it was an issue with pace. Mm-hmm. With pace and and kind of style of play and yeah. and what have Which you, Which I agree with, by the way. Yeah. Oh no, I, I totally agree. Um, but then for Tommy to go on the defensive side, but it goes to what you were saying. Bradley Beal and Monte Morris are never going to be right. the foundation for a good perimeter defense. Mm-hmm. So what are we really talking about here? And like they had to go to Gafford Porzingis because that was because they did not have any consistency at the three. So they finally went with two bigs, which did work. And also relative. you got beat so bad on the perimeter, you had to at least try to defend somewhere, and that exactly. was in the paint. And relative to, like, it it, it was a good combination. Gaff, uh, Gafford and Porzingis, now there are limitations to it. Do I think it's a permanent solution? No. But it did work relative to what they were doing earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. So I don't, like, you know, he kind of threw the coach under the bus. And I agree that the coach deserves some criticism, but it's, it's a roster building issue that ultimately is his responsibility. Yeah. It's, it's both, right? Like everybody here, we want to talk about accountability. It should go through the entire organization for this. I I found uh, this particular stat again. I think I stole this from Josh Robbins. He wrote an article today. If you haven't checked it out, um, shameless plug for him. He did a really good one with this and and I think made a, a lot of really good points, but he said Unseld inherited a squad that had a, uh, the 20th ranked defense, 20th league-wide defense um, and defense efficiency. Then last year, uh, they were 25th, and then this year, they're 21st. So they actually got worse the first year with him, and then this year, they're back to where they were under Scott Brooks, where we killed them for yeah. having a shit defense. And they're worse offensively, uh, for the most part, under Unseld, with better offensive personnel, in my opinion than Brooks had for, for most of his tenure. So, uh, and, I mean, and I think this is, yeah, this is the frustrating part of it. So the Westbrook year, the Westbrook year and the year before that, the bubble year, that was kind of the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now this is year three and year four under Shepard. Yeah. This should kind of be what his vision is. Mm-hmm. And we have made no progress in the last two years. They've kind of just like, you know, they're running in mud, you know, the yeah. running in, running in quicksand. Like what? So it's hard to figure out what are you excited about? Like and then even on there and there seems to be confusion. Yesterday, or it was a few days ago, the West Huntsville Junior was talking about, well, it's not about the results, it's about the process. Well, apparently the coach has the GM has an issue with your defensive process mm-hmm. and the players have an issue with some of the offensive pro- right. process. So what process are we actually leaning on as our win? You know? 
you need strong organizational buy-in. And that to me comes down to strong organizational leadership. That starts with Ted, that starts with Tommy, and that starts with Wes and them all being on the same page and them slightly picking at each other in the media, plant seeds of doubt and makes the players feel empowered to do these things and question the coaching staff too. And it sounds like Wes Unseld agrees with Shepard's comments about the defense, especially related to transition defense struggles. He said, we're watching, we're waiting instead of urgency having to get back or having urgency to get back. So like he clearly thinks it's on the players not buying into what he's telling them to do too. And and you can talk all you want about, if you're Tommy, about the talent and what great guys they are and character and all this stuff. But if you're saying, well, my defensive-minded coach has a good game plan and maybe he's not holding them accountable enough or they're just not buying in, then maybe you don't have the right guys here. Maybe this isn't the group that you should invest in. But then let me ask you, uh, let me ask you this question also. Like, so Wes is on, you know, like getting players back on the floor, like get back on defense. Mm-hmm. Well, your, your Supermax player has a habit of arguing with officials right. rather than running back on defense. Mm-hmm. And the player that was cited as the biggest beneficiary of the Rui Hachimura trade, the Denny Avdia, who is a good defensive player, also has a habit of complaining to the officials every single play, offense or defense. So does he always he hustles back a lot, but does he hustle back when he's when he's on the ground arguing about a call, a non-call? No. So two of their two of the players that the GM is heavily invested in, you know, are spend half the time arguing talking to the official versus actually getting back on defense. And the one challenge that they're that I do see like at the pro level, you can't get players to do that. They have to just want to do that. And then I you think, have to identify I think if you the have, right guys. If you have an elite coach, like people will buy in if Eric Spolstra yeah. tells them to buy in, yeah. or they know they won't be there long. Like they know that they're in sync enough that if if Spolstra says this guy doesn't get it, like we can either keep him in check because our leaders will hold him accountable, mm-hmm. or our front office will get them out of here. Like it's there's no there's no accounting for that in Washington. And I think players know that because they're treated here like they're doing us a favor organizationally by by yeah. coming here and taking our money to play here. And and that's that's just not gonna work. And you mentioned the Optia thing here, and I just want to throw one thing out there for you um from cleaning the glass in terms of foul percentage, which I, I think is a really good one. Um and for anybody not familiar with foul percentage, it's how many defensive fouls did the player commit per team play. So Kuzma is in the 90th percentile in the league based on his position. So like mm-hmm. he's really good at not fouling people when yeah. he's defending them. And he's their leader in defensive win shares, which is another sort of counting stat, but I think it's still a good one. Yeah. And then you have Denny, who is pretty good in the defensive win shares front too, but could be even better uh, if he was just more disciplined with his stuff. He's in the 23rd percentile in the NBA. Yeah. So just, like whether they're fake fouls or not, and everyone has differing opinions, I don't, I think he's just sort of too physical with like smaller guys that are, that are going to get away with those things because he seems to be okay with guarding the bigs and stuff like that. But yeah, even if he's just a little bit better and some of those phantom <clears throat> fouls we think we see aren't called, he's still probably at best middle of the road. Right. Also, just like it's about time. You've been in the league three years. Adjust to how you're being officiated. Stop leaning in to get draw to have that extra contact that draws a foul. Yeah. Pull, like you could defend without doing that. Move your feet, you know, just 
cut and then also stop talking to the officials. That's, That's not the big one. You. That he can control. The coaching yeah, staff should work on him with him on the watch tape, learn tendencies, scouting report stuff. Mm-hmm. I do believe some of that is a coaching. Here's how you can defend without fouling so much. Like you can help a player with that. Yeah. But if he's not going to just stop complaining, I, I don't know what you do about it. And I know the Denny fans will say that it's just making a particular point. It, it trickles down from Beal because he gets away with it. Other people get away with it. And it Which is just goes to the lack account. of accountability. Yeah, exactly. So they all know it's the problem. They all talked about accountability, but they don't ever change it. It's all right. lip service. That is the single biggest problem with the entire organization is that one word, accountability. Wasn't Corey Kispert's quote today? He had a quote about accountability. I don't have it in front of me right now. Corey something. said that they need to have better accountability as well as a clear identity. Says the team is taking steps to improve those areas, but it has been a recurring theme uh, for this team for years. So, and that goes to the whole, well, this team likes each other. That's been the whole mantra this year. Oh, they like each other. Then fucking call people out. You shouldn't yeah. all like each other. Right, exactly. Uh, where And look, who, uh, exa- also, who cares if they like each other if they're not being held accountable on the court? So, and clearly there are some issues for Corey Kispert, third year player to come out and say there are accountability issues. He must see something Mm -hmm. that isn't kosher. That isn't, you know, the dude's used to winning. Yeah, exactly. So he sees something. So that means something's wrong. Something's not right for a third year pro to come out and say that. And it's just like, you know, ideally you'd like your leader to come out and say your, your high priced veteran players to come out and say that, but you know, maybe they're part of the issue. I've listened to enough of the Give Me Timmy podcast by Drew Timmy to have him have his sort of different teammates and Andrew Nemhard and Corey Kispert on there. And it's very apparent that all three of those guys had no issue telling the other one like, hey, cut the shit. And yeah. again, it's a college team or whatever, but it, it that is the tone setter. I'm not, I'm not even saying Brad needs to be good defensively, but he has to practice what he preaches. And hey, guys, you know what? I'm not a good defender. I need you to help me out there. I will be accountable in these other ways. Like, let's compliment each other. It's not, oh, Brad doesn't play good defense. No one will play good defense. But it's it's practicing what you preach. And you have Brad come out and say, I don't think we're good enough. Uh, He said, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. But I expressed that to the necessary voices and people who need to hear it. Oh, is it you? Like, are you looking in the mirror when you say that? And he followed it by saying, I don't make the decisions. I want everybody to understand in here. I don't run the team. My name is not Tommy Shepard. My name isn't Ted Leonsis. That's skirting blame after saying, but you know, you started out by saying the season was a disappointment and he's low on patience because he has to be more available and take better care of his body and all this bullshit. But then he comes out and says, like, it's not all me. Like, I don't, I'm not running this group. Yeah. Well, he made it a point to say, I talked to the people I needed to talk to to exactly. express my frustration. But then he's like, well, I, of course, yeah, no one knows. Everyone knows you can't make a trade yourself. You can't get on the, get on the phone with the NBA and dial in, call in a trade. No. So, but you've expressed, Beal has expressed his frustration. And frankly, like, this is just, it's just so tired. Like the second he signed that this latest Supermax that he's been on with his team, like to me, I mean, it, it was kind of over even before that in terms of just like that, mm-hmm. just like even hearing this narrative, but like you, he signed exactly, he knew exactly who he signed with. Of course. He knew the team, he knew the roster, he knew what their upside was. 
I'm sure like players always have a belief in themselves, but like you signed on with a 35 and 47 win team, 35 and 47 team. And you're now you are on another 35 and 47 team. Nothing here is surprising. This is where you decided. This is where you by your own free will chose to play and make the most money that you can make. So tough shit, you know, Yeah, don't feel bad for you. And, and he said he liked that he had input here and the team yep. said we value brad's opinion we want to run things by him yes he'll he'll be you know we'll have draft picks that we bounce off of him in advance yeah and then every year he gets out and he says both things i just don't like somebody talking out of both sides of their mouth and oh yeah and he's like i think even then you saw when they were had when they were running good pre pre all-star break you would see when denny was doing a post-game interview brad would start dancing behind him on mm-hmm. tv or when Kuzma was, and then Kuzma was like dancing behind Brad at the Minnesota game, or making faces with like with NBC Sports, and everything was good. They all loved each other. You know, we're on a roll. Right. But again, he was on the floor those next fourteen games after the All Star break. They went four and ten mm-hmm. while he was on the floor. Yeah. That <laughs> that is him. He needs to own that. Like those were team. Like the Hawks came in and beat them twice in a row on their own floor. Mm-hmm. You know, those were opportunities where he should have come out and said, I'm going to be the best player on this floor. I'm going to win this game for this franchise and get us in position to make the playoffs. But he didn't. So if he should be mad at anyone, he should be mad at himself because he did not carry his own weight after the all-star break. So frankly, I just like, it's just so dumbfound. Like it's just every few months when you hear some of this stuff from Brad, it's just like, just if you are so sick and tired of it here, if your patience is so move on, ask to move on. And if you're fine, if you're fine being kind of the the big fish in a small pond with with like no scrutiny, then okay. But then like, you know, spare us this every couple of months. My I'm, you know, I'm not patient. I'm gonna lose my patience. I'm gonna like no one cares. <laughs> he did that Gilbert interview earlier in the year and he said things about like, you know, I'm in the I'm in the gym in the summer. Like you're not outworking me. I know who doesn't work hard on this team. Like, okay, well then challenge them. If right. your game doesn't naturally make other people better, then you need to take that up off the court and make these guys better. And guess what? Like that is part of what they're paying you to do when you make that much money. If you are not paid, if you're paid to be a top five player in terms of salary and you aren't that in terms of on-court production, you better find some ways to help on the margins. And that's grabbing Denny and smacking him upside the head and saying, hey, you and I this year in 23, 24, our mutual thing we're going to do together, our our thing is like both of us are not going to complain. And here's this little thing we're going to do. We're going to throw money in a jar, you know, at the end of every game if if we bitched too much or whatever it is, like be a leader. And there's this tired anecdote about how, you know, Greg Popovich came in the first day and he MF'ed Tim Duncan. And that set the tone for the whole rest of the team, because if you can coach the best guy harder than everybody else, nobody can complain about their treatment. Yeah. But if Brad is going to be the guy that always, you know, I'm not, I don't have to lead them. I'm in the gym. I'm getting my shots up. Like, it's just tired. Like, be better. What I also don't get about Brad, and this is why I think Kyle Kuzma, while the fans gravitate to Kuzma, and again, I'm not the biggest Kuzma fan, but I appreciate some of the things that he brings to the table. In terms of like even on the bench these past few weeks as they were being closed in the season, Kuzma's front and center. Yep. He's right at the front of the bench. You see him cheering every time like Johnny Davis or Quentin in the Jackson. huddles, pointing stuff out. He's in the people. huddles. Yeah. Bradley Beal's at the end of the bench, kind of on his own, doing his own thing. Showing up at halftime. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, like at the end of, you know, Kuzma owns that they disappointed this year mm-hmm. in his like, you know, and that the Wizards fan deserve more. Like he had that tweet out today that he said something to that effect. And mm-hmm. he he even said even earlier this season, he's like when they he's when they asked him about the big three, he's like, well, I don't even know if we really are big three because none of us are all stars. Yeah. He has a self-awareness that I think Beal is missing at times. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Beal comes out and like, it's not like two media days ago where he kind of just came in with like a very surly attitude and, you know, you know, the whole vaccination thing came up. It wasn't anything like that, but the exit interview today, just totally, it's like he was pouting and it's like, wait, what are you pouting for? You knew exactly what you signed up for. You chose to be here. The, you, you were on the court when the team face planted at the end of the season. What are you mad about? It's the hand you dealt yourself to a very right. large degree. So it's just, it's tough to have like any sympathy for you, but it's also just body language too. Like I, we all love to be body language police, but coming into media day, being bent over the table with both elbows all the way up, your hood up, not making eye contact with people and then saying things like, oh, you know, you all are trying to rush me out of here. The media here is trying to make it seem like I want to leave because you asked about my no trade clause. Like, well, dude, you don't look very happy. So, yeah. I mean, and, and also, if he maybe that's part of the reason why he wants to be here because if he thinks that the media here wants him out, first of all, I haven't, I have not seen any kind of not, like any local the athletic. I don't think Ever. Robbins post the Washington Post. I don't think any of them have said he wants to leave. Yeah, um, there's been no push for that. Maybe on Twitter, sure. maybe on social media, people say it. That's one thing. But if you can't even handle the soft media of Washington, D.C., right. maybe that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to go to a bigger market or a bigger team, because then you will be kind of in the eye of scrutiny. And if he thinks this is like if he's pouting and saying like complaining that media want him out over here, maybe he's not ready for like Boston or he's not ready for a, a big city like that. You would never survive Philly or L.A. or no. Boston or one of these cities no. if you think that this so he's comfortable is, here. He's comfortable yeah. here in a low pressure environment where he could just do his job. He could uh, he can enjoy enjoy the you know enjoy the city. Uh, he does great things off the court, and I'm not never going to criticize him sure. for that. He does fantastic mm-hmm. things off the court. Made himself a part of the community, here. and that is important to me, by the way. Like I do yeah. care about that, and I know that you is like, that you, is you want not, good dudes. But. Yeah, like you know, um, it's it's truly it's truly good. But then, yeah, but then like he just pulls off an exit interview like today, and you're like, what are you pouting for? <laughs> as much as we both just said, that's important. If he just said, fuck them kids, I'm not doing a turkey trot this year, but we had 45 wins, I'd still like him better. I'm like as much as <laughs> as much as I do think that stuff's important. At the end of the day, yeah. I care more about what you do on the basketball court or my basketball team. Uh it just I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad person from that perspective. But uh Tommy also said that he believes Bradley Beal is getting quote into the prime of his career, adding that health is key. And that Beal had one of his most efficient seasons, but he only played the 50 games, which again could have probably been 57, 58, whatever. But I just don't understand you expecting the guy who I think is now fair to label injury prone. He's had two different stretches at the beginning and the tail end of his career so far, where he's had multiple years of injuries. Like expect him to get healthier over over time as he ages after being really high volume and high usage for a couple of years there, it doesn't, that that math does not check out to me. Like, Hey, our injury prone guy is suddenly going to get less injured with age. And Oh, by the way, he'll get better at basketball also. 
Uh, that just doesn't seem like yep. a realistic team building plan. To me. He's he's going to be 30 before next season. Um, it, next season will be his 12th season in the NBA. Uh, that I haven't done, you know, I'm sure Kevin Broom has the data behind it, sure. but I'm sure he, he can pull some stats and I may ask him tomorrow to do it so that we could tweet it from the site showing that that is not actually the prime, especially for six foot three shooting guards. No. Um, I think Beal's prime, if we're all being honest, is kind of that stretch immediately after the John Wall injury yeah, and kind of that two to three year stretch where he was averaging 28, 30, 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. His efficiency was good. His minutes were high. Um, his efficiency was better this year mm-hmm. than it was last year. And last year was kind of a concern. So it was. it is good that this year his efficiency, his efficiency came back up, but he has so many nagging leg injuries that you do have to start wondering like, could he even play the role that he played under Scott Brooks anymore? And I have serious doubts that he could be like a 75 game, 35 minute per game, 30 or even more player anymore, because I don't, I don't know if his legs could take it. You know, I think I don't, there's a certain, once you start pulling your hamstrings, your hamstrings don't get younger, you know? And that'd be easier to sign off on too. If you had this young, if you had a Tyrese Maxey on the roster where there was a chance of like, the sliding scales, you know, Beal's elevator's going down, but Maxi's is going up. Like maybe they offset. Like Kuzma, who I I do like and I think could be better in a different context, is still it's still a finite amount. He could probably improve at 28 years old. Whereas yeah. I guess at 30 is not going to get any better than he is at this exact moment, and probably not going to be any healthier than he was yeah. this season. They got probably the best they're going to get off of Porzingis. Which is so. not, I'm not saying that in a bad way at all. I thought yeah, Porzingis was, was great this yeah. year. He's not the um, he's not the big issue here. Notice how we've not bashed him. That he yeah, <laughs> I think what you hope is that he could repeat the season. Yeah. That's just the hope what you get out of him. If three of the next four years he plays like this, I think that's a win for them from a contract right. perspective. Uh, but you know, like they expect Beal to decline, I think is more realistic. And Tommy said, I need to see that group more together to make that decision about blah blah blah. Like if it's worth you know investing in, but. Again, it, it's all if you're saying injuries are that big of a deal, then don't sign two injury prone guys to big long term deals. Like you're you're sealing your own fate and then acting surprised by it. So I just it just comes back to like the plan doesn't make sense. And Josh Robbins asked him again, uh, you know, if the team's stuck, and he would say, I think that's a little premature. I have to, I think we have to evaluate the hard things for sure. And there's things we could have done better. But I also say, were we fully intact this year? And is this where we're at? And the answer to that is no. So it's just like, they're just, again, they're just, they're just like doubling down on this notion yeah. of like, well, we were unhealthy. So that's the only difference here. See, now I will say this, like we've been bashing him and it's, it is definitely warranted. I think he's done some, like, look, what they have, they have some talented players. You stay still, they kept you that Porzingis, like we said, who's played had played really well. Kuzma, I think, like I'm a big, De- I'm a Denny fan. Um, I don't, I'm not an, a, like I'm not an apologist for him on Twitter, like many people <laughs> are. Where every mistake he makes, it's like, oh, if he was just on San, San Antonio, it would be fantastic. That's always the de- default, by the way. If a player is struggling, a young player is struggling, oh, I just wish the Spurs drafted him. Yeah, well, exactly. the Spurs didn't draft him for a reason, State, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Spurs wanted him that badly; they would have gotten him, you know. Um, but back to the point, like I thought what Denny did, for example, that game against Boston, Boston played mm-hmm. their starters. I think he showed his upside if everything were to clicking and that's yeah. offense and defense and elevating the parts around him. So I think mm-hmm. there is 
a chance for him, but there's a lot that has to occur. And unfortunately, we're not going to get that by the time his rookie contract's up. So they're going to have to basically guess if it's going to happen or not. Um, even Corey Kispert, I've been critical of Kispert because I thought he wouldn't take difficult shots, but he showed he has more in his bag. So there, mm-hmm. there's some interesting players on the roster. <clears throat> but it goes, it kind of all goes back to the certain points. What you said earlier, without a point guard, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So there's the major piece of the puzzle isn't there. And because of that, the puzzle's all out of whack and it's all out of sports. And the roster just doesn't make sense financially and on the floor. So to say you need to see more of that, no, you don't need to see more of it. You need to actually fix it. And then you need to make the finances work so that it could just grow and grow organically. Like you said, where if a Beal does start going on the decline, you have someone else on the incline. You can't have everyone on the decline at the same time. So where what I am most concerned about is they sign Porzingis, they sign Kuzma, they kind of double down on the older guys. This realistically, this next season coming up could be Shepard and Wes Unsold Jr.'s make or break year, right? Which maybe maybe that's worth it. Maybe we want them to commit to those things because maybe yeah. you can still trade Kuzma and Porzingis on those deals. They're still team friendly enough. Someone would take them off. Exactly. That's what you got to hope. But then it also is you'd have a new GM if there were to be a new GM 12 months from now coming in with three players locked into well over $100 million in contract. A lot to ask. So instead of just being able to proactively build and start taking advantage, they'd have to cut like kind of cleanse the cap. Yeah. yeah. So it's just setting us back because the timeline, it's like the timeline for this organization never makes sense. And it kind of goes back to the roster. Nothing just makes sense. Like, you know, just things are never aligned properly. <laughs> You're doing this until Beal is at the end of his career. Like, this is what you're committed to. That's what they've said. Unless he forces their hand and asks out, which who knows if he'd do that. But this is what we have to look forward to as a fan base for at least the next probably four seasons. So if you're just saying, like, this is good enough for us, we're going to ride out Beal's tenure, and we want Porzingis and Kuzma's contracts to be in line with that, and then maybe we clear the books in four years. So be it. It's just, it's exactly what you said though. Like Denny, I think can get a lot better next year. He wants to work on a shot and his left hand all season. I love it. Corey showed he can do more things. Gafford's got to be more consistent. Johnny Davis, maybe he can be the guy at the end of the year, but none of these guys are major needle movers. So you're now no. so reliant on nailing this pick, winning the lottery, getting Brandon yeah. Miller and him being a day one starter at the three. Like that's your only chance for improvement for the and next several years. Because even in that situation, you're asking a 19-year-old to be the savior right. to a team with a 12-year with hundred million dollars super max deal yeah. and two <laughs> other vets who are in their yeah. seventh, and I believe Porzingis is going to be entering his ninth season. Mm-hmm. But you're asking the 19-year-old to come in and be the savior. But that's where we are. Really sensible. The I, only, don't see, I don't see any flaw in the logic. And I think Ben Becker meant, I said this earlier, the only, uh, I was reading a tweet from him earlier today, the only two ways out of this are they win the lottery or yeah. jump high enough to get an impactful player or a new GM. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, you, you need Beal to ask out because even if you have a new GM, which I don't think they'll do anytime in the near future, he rides out all of Beal's tenure at, at a yeah. minimum, in my opinion. You still have an owner that's committed to Beal. So yeah. This is where we're at. So your only actual hope out of this is just that one option of nailing the lottery, which is unrealistic yeah. to think that they're going to do. So, which makes the Miami game even more just <laughs> irritant. It's like, why would 
Why were DeLon Wright, Daniel Gafford, and Corey Kispert on the floor that much? <laughs> if if we don't get Amon Thompson and he is not the fusion dance version of Vince Carter and Penny Hardaway from day one, like we are literally just this team for the next, you know, half a decade. Yeah. And and that's a really frustrating thing to try to rationalize as a fan. And it's just you know, like maybe they can make some incremental moves. Maybe they can get a point guard. Maybe they can get a future star in waiting. Maybe these guys can take incremental um, jumps. Maybe no, these right. guys can be slightly healthier. And you're still probably only a mid-40s win team at best. And I think that's what you're, you're making a good point because a lot of Wizards, you know, you hear on social media, oh, Anthony Black would be a great pick or the point guard from Kentucky. They come in, like you said, the point guard situation will be a little better if they come in, but they're still rookies, so they're going to be up, mm-hmm. up and downs. Some of the young players improve. Again, that maybe is a formula for 42 to 45 wins yeah. at best. Yeah. If the only way that anything, like the, the ceiling actually changes is if they get, one, get a pick and nail a pick in the, at the top of the lottery and get a franchise-altering player because they need a franchise player to slide everyone to the appropriate slot. They need... Once that Beal can become more a two, mm-hmm. that I mean, it won't happen immediately or with a rookie, but you want Beal to become the two, you want Kuzma to become the three or four, and Porzingis to become the three or four. Each one is kind of fighting a weight class too high for them right now. Yeah, they're punching up, man. Yeah. I, I think that's that's just what will always be the hardest thing to reconcile is like that's that's the extent of their vision with this team is if everything breaks perfectly you're just sort of capped as as a low-end playoff team. Yeah. And honestly, if I just felt good that every year they were going to come in and like solidly make the playoffs, I'm really not greedy. I could be happy with that, especially if they were like younger and there was something really to look forward to. But it, it's just sort of like, okay, we need things to break right to even get to that point. And that's that's just really tough. Um, and it's also like I would be more behind it if, if they let it actually happen. Not <laughs> yeah. like not pumping out their chest and kind yeah. of running the victory lap because they're on a six game winning streak, but they're still under 500, you know, mm-hmm. like the second they win any, like have any consecutive wins, regardless of their overall record. It's all of a sudden, yeah, this is what we expected. We're on our way. Things are looking great. Let it actually happen. Mm-hmm. And there's also, they keep getting asked this question about is DC, why isn't DC a free agency destination? And Tommy said, I dispute anybody that says that guys don't want to come here. And Porzingis said, you know, he towed the company line, but like, I actually agree with them. It's just, you don't ever have enough cap space to get guys. So who are you ever going after? Yeah. Like you're not going to get a marquee guy if you can't pay them. And, And by the way, I do actually believe in the value of continuity and keeping a core together and they're just being organic growth from guys like knowing each other's ins and outs and being together for a few years. So maybe you squeeze a few more wins out like via that. I, I, like, I actually think that makes a lot of sense for like, it just takes teams a while to break through together sometimes. Yeah. But that's like the difference between getting out of the first round versus making an Eastern Conference Finals. Not You shouldn't need that much continuity if you have all this talent just to make the play in. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with the play in being such a low bar. Um, no, you're correct over there. Uh, so I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going with it, but, but you're, you're absolutely on point. Uh, the one thing I did hear today that I liked from all this is that Johnny Davis does intend to play summer league. It was fully my prediction 
Uh, like Shaden Sharp came out and said, I love to play basketball. Any opportunity I get to play, I'll take it. And if you're Portland fans, you want to hear that from your young guy. And Davis basically said the same thing, that I fully expected Tommy to get up there and be like, well, he's shown us enough over these last nine games that, you know, and we already know what we have in these guys. And the same way Corey was such a veteran that he didn't need to do it last year. Yeah. Like Corey should still be playing summer league this year coming yeah, up. Why not? At least two of the games. Like that's what a good team would do. Um, I, but again, we act like they're, we, we're, we're entitling them. Yeah. I think it's good. It's good that Davis has the confidence to be saying to immediately go out and say that I want mm-hmm. to do it again. Good. And I'm curious because you have seen, he did not look like an, I mean, he did not look like an NBA or even a G league player right. at a certain point this season. Like you, there were a couple of games where he had zero points or two points in the G league. So mm-hmm. for him to kind of get to the point where he got to that showed growth, there's still issues with his game. Yep. You saw it in the in the finale where it went, I think he shot 15 threes. Mm-hmm. Number one, he shouldn't be shooting me 15 threes. Never, but and I think he was three be, for 15 from, from the three-point range. Unless you want to lose that game. Exactly, exactly. So he was, so there still needs to be work on his shot. And it's interesting because when you look at his shooting form, it's still not there. It's mm-hmm. gotten to the point where he can make a few. It's like back but, to where it was before they started messing with it. In the exactly. First place. But you could tell there's still issues because in college, he was like a 79% free throw shooter on a pretty good, uh, pretty good free throw rate. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, he got to the line six or seven times a game. Now he can't even like, even his free throws look awkward. So there, but with him, you know, he's a worker, you know, he's like kind of a grinder. And when he gets a break, he resets, he gets better. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to see summer league is what now we're in the beginning of April. So he has like three months till then two to three months. Where is he going to be three months from now? So that's just a curiosity, and it's going to be it's a good data point to have, and it's it's good to see that he's and willing to do it. Danny works hard. I think Gafford works hard. I think Corey yeah. works hard. I think Davis will work hard. So I fully believe that they'll probably squeeze the most out of their talent over the course of their careers. The problem is they're just not that talented relative to the right. other people that went in some of these other lotteries. So it's yeah. just, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, Oz, I think that's kind of the majority of the stuff I wanted to hit on here. Anything we're missing or that you want to circle back to before we get out of here? Mm, not too much on – I can't think of anything else. I think we pretty much just hammered in. I mean, it's just such a – I think for me, where I am now, this is probably as disenfranchised as I am as a fan, Yeah. mainly because – see, even during the Ernie years, at least Wall and Beal were here, and there was mm-hmm. a certain floor – like they were making the playoffs every year, right. bar except for the one year that they had just a, they actually had a lot of injuries, and that happens, where, you know, and that yeah. happens. But every other year they made the playoffs. And it was, and once they got to the playoffs, they were an interesting, tough team, mm-hmm. like a kind of like just. I think it was Bill Simmons who would always call them like kind of the team that always like muck it up and kind of just like you mix it up in the playoffs. Them. Now, but not back down from a little fight, and right. they were an interesting playoff team as such. Um, the problem is like. Now there's just, we've had five years of nothing mm-hmm. and five years of no progress. So it's, it's the point. And then like you said, like, I think what everyone expects, we got to hope different, but what everyone expects is the 35 and 47, they're going to get the ninth pick. They'll get a player that might help a little bit, not really move the needle. And then they will be 35 and 47 again next year, maybe 37 and 45. Yeah. 37, 45. Maybe they get two games out of it, <clears throat> but is that like after it's just it's frustrating that that's all that you could barring <laughs> barring lottery luck mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at unless he can make like a unless he could do something else on the trade and that is kind of where his strength had been prior to probably a few recent trades um 
the Caldwell Pope trade, for example. But uh, he needs he needs either Tommy Shepard needs either lottery luck or he needs to pull a fast one on somebody for a point guard for us to really have much optimism going into next year. Whatever the equivalent of the uh, Daniel Gafford trade or the Bertans trade was, he needs to do that for a point guard. Like trade almost nothing of value and somehow get a guy that would immediately become impactful next year. Take a get, take a chance. Like you know, don't play it safe. They played it safe with Monte Morris last year. Mm-hmm. Take a chance. Call Orlando. They have like four point guards. Yeah. Maybe one of them in a featured role breaks out. Maybe Fultz goes to like another level. Although I think they're kind of committed to Fultz now. Yeah, but so. maybe Suggs is that guy. I mean, I know there's Somebody. a lot of questions about him, but mm-hmm. you know, like I'd rather gamble on someone like that than just have the known mediocrity of how Monte Morris plays as a starting point guard. No offense to Monte, but he is like that's just as a starter, as a backup, he's great, you know. But they have to they have to introduce something, some variance to give us hope that there's something potentially more out there. And worst case, you have the safe option there to default to with him and Delon. And yeah, even and even Goodwin, I think, is a respectable enough bench player at this point that you'd feel confident, you know, him being mm-hmm. a stopgap. So and look, uh, I didn't bring up Chris Dunn. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, boy. Yeah. Can't tell me that wouldn't have been better, but we could do a whole separate podcast. on. Yeah, we can. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, let's hope Jay Huff is the good third backup center we need next year. And we don't have to see more Taj and McGill minutes, because if you want to get real depressing, go look them up defensively on cleaning the glass and that'll make you a little sad. Uh, But we're Wizards fans. We're resilient. We will bounce back. We will do tons of draft coverage on this podcast over the next month and change. So if there are specific uh, prospects that that you want us to talk about or do deep dives on, just let me know. We'll do that because that really is the only thing we seem to have to look forward to every offseason is maybe they'll hit it big this year, even though we know that they probably won't. Uh, Oz, thank you for doing this. Everybody, thank you for listening. I I know every podcast is now doing this at the end of the season and thanking you for your time or whatever. But like, I don't know. We actually mean it on this podcast. Um, Thank you for we're suffering through this. Like if you were listening to a Wizards podcast right now on the 12th of April, you're a sicko and we appreciate that about you. So thanks for following us at Bulls Forever, engaging with us on social media and all this stuff. And, and Oz, thank you for doing this late at night for everybody. If you're not seeing this until the next morning, Oz is up late with me doing this one. So I appreciate that a lot too. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We will catch you next time. And as always, we are presented by betonline.ag. to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube